Amen. Good morning, church. Man, what a joy it is to gather this morning and to sing these songs. Thank you, DJ. Thank you to the praise team for leading us. Did you know that uh, DJ had a birthday this week? I know, right? It's exciting. He's 43. I mean, 34. My dyslexia kicking in. Um, Yeah, so glad about that. And about a year ago, DJ uh, came to Riverside. And so it's just a, a remarkable thing to look back on the past year and to see just one more way God has blessed our faith family here at Riverside. So, man, happy birthday, DJ. If you get a chance, go by and give him a pat on the back and a good war eagle, and he'll be excited to, uh, uh, or whatever they say, and uh, it'll be good. Hey, uh, it's, a, it's a good time to be together. Summer's a crazy time. It's glad, I'm glad to see a lot of faces. I know we've uh, got people coming in and coming out all summer long as people are traveling and vacationing and taking trips to see family, all good things. I want to remind you coming up, just one quick thing, August 28th is sort of a, a summer makeup uh, summer. Sunday in terms of our giving. We even had one Sunday this summer we had to cancel because of a power outage. So we've kind of slotted that August 28th. Just come prepared that day to maybe give a little extra and to make up for any Sundays you missed. That will help bless this church, but also bless the ministry that we're a part of in this community and around the world. All right. So this summer we've been talking about, if you've been in and out, just to catch you up really quick, about this idea of the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. And so many times Jesus told stories, and when he told stories, he all, almost always began with words something like this, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he began to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And what's so interesting to me is that when I think about heaven, and maybe when you think about heaven, we think about, you know, pearly gates and, you know, streets of gold. But when Jesus talked about heaven, he talked about what life was like here on earth and how we participate in bringing heaven to earth. In fact, if you remember, Jesus really only taught his disciples one prayer. And in that prayer, you remember what he said? He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there seems to be this thing, this idea with Jesus that the kingdom of heaven, uh, it's got a whole lot more to do with what's happening in the here and now, at least for him and his teaching and his ministry and his life, than maybe some of us have thought, at least for me. I'll speak for myself. And what we've been trying to do through this series, at least what I've been trying to really do, is to... However I can, lay down my vision for what I think heaven is like and pick up the vision that Jesus has for the kingdom of heaven. And today that's what I want to invite you to to step into again with me. And we may stumble through the dark trying to find our way, but man, more and more, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I want to lay down my vision, lay down what I think, lay down what I've always been taught wrestle with Jesus and try to pick up his vision, pick up his words, pick up what he taught and what he said about what life is supposed to be like. Uh, did, you, did you see this story? This is one of my favorite stories of all time. Last year this happened. Here's a picture on the screen of, of a couple that get married in Turkey. I, I won't even pretend to pronounce their names correctly, but this is Fatula and Esra. And uh, they got married in Turkey last year. You see Fatula in his uh, tuxedo and Esra in her, in her wedding gown there. They had a, a wedding back uh, fall of last year. I can't remember the exact date. Uh, and if you remember around that same time was when the news broke of the, uh, really the, the, the Syrian refugee crisis that was kind of happening right there along, those, along that time. Well, as they were planning their wedding, Fatula's father came to him and said, Hey, I got this idea. Uh, what do you think about this? I know that after the wedding, the tradition is, is that we throw a big party and we have a big feast and all the friends and and family and all those who've been invited to the wedding, they come and they sit at tables and we eat and we celebrate together. We dance, we laugh, whatever. That's typical. But, but so many of our 
brothers and sisters from Syria are right here in our country now, and they're in desperate need. What if we took that money, and what if we used this opportunity uh, to feed them? And so the next picture you'll see, Fatula went to Ezra and said, hey, what do you think about this idea? And the bride said, I think it's a great idea. And after their wedding ceremony, they pretty much formed a soup line where they used the money that they had set aside for the wedding party and they fed over 4,000 Syrian refugees on that day after their wedding. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. I don't know. You guys are kind of like, you know, like this. I get excited about that because I'm like, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, come on. That's, that's an amazing story. And I think people like us, at least I think this is true. This is true of me and it's true of about 10 of you that clapped. Uh, <laughs> When you hear a story like this, it resonates with those of us who follow Jesus, right? Because it speaks to something, you know? It speaks to grace. I mean, this was undeserved, unmerited, uncommon, unexpected, unusual. It was grace in the truest sense to, to use this moment that was, was meant to celebrate their life and their love and their future together to, to turn that into a, a wedding feast where people were invited in who were hungry, and they knew they couldn't fix all the world's problems. Then they couldn't fix all these people's problems. But on one night, they could fix one problem. They could feed them. They could give them food. They could give them some bread and some soup and something to drink. And they could provide for them in, 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 in that one specific way. And so in a very incredible way, it was, it was, it was justice. It was making right something that had gone wrong. Because people were never meant to be lost and alone, refugees and afraid, hungry and homeless. Children were never meant to starve. And so they did in that moment one thing that can make one thing right. So it was an incredible act of grace. And it was an incredible act of justice. And I think people like us, people who are trying to follow Jesus, like these stories, at least for me, they, they just grabbed me. And I'm like, right on. Because what they did in that moment, whether they knew it or not, was they were... They were making things on earth as they are in heaven. Amen? And I think that's so much of what I want to be a part of. And I hope this church wants to be a part of, right? This is why we go to Singapore and Honduras and the DR. We, we, want, to, we want to go out. We want to make things on earth wherever we can as they are in heaven. And this is what Fatula and Ezra did right after their wedding. It's a beautiful picture. And we need stories like this because... Especially like these days, we are just so painfully aware, aren't we, that we live, in, we live in a time where there's just not a lot of grace. And there's not a lot of justice. I mean, we don't have to rewind the tape very far to remember what happened in Orlando. What happened right here at, in, in Baylor, you know, a few months ago. Or what happened at Stanford. Or what happened with the shootings here in Dallas and other places. And, you know, people you know, being hurt because of the color of their skin or the color of their uniform. And, and we look around at the injustice. We look around at the lack of grace. And for those of us, again, who follow Jesus, I mean, it's sad for anybody, but for us, it's particularly sad because we just see how broken the world is and how far the world is from God. And what breaks our hearts above everything else is just knowing that this was never, ever the way it was meant to be. Whether people are posturing for political reasons or people are angry and hateful because of racism or, you know, we find a million and one things to divide over, don't we? 
We find a million and one reasons why we should hate each other. And I don't know about you, but it just makes my heart break. Because I know and you know, this was never the way it was meant to be. And what's most amazing to me is that, you know this, we talk about this a lot. Our God is a God of incredible grace. We know this is true. And grace in its simplest form is, is, is just undeserved kindness. It's when I receive something from someone that I didn't deserve, and it's a really, really good thing. It's, that is grace, you know, and justice. Our God is a God of perfect justice. And justice, it seems to have two sides, but in, I think in its simplest form, it's making right what went wrong. And whenever we see people do this, it, it really it, it resonates with us because we love justice in its purest and most truest sense of of someone stepping in to make right for someone else what has gone wrong for them. And this is what justice is. And our God, our God, he, he holds these two together in such perfect balance. And in Jesus, when he told stories, he often did this. He would, and he would teach us that, that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The, the kingdom of heaven is a place where the grace of God comes together with the justice of God. And they're held in perfect union and perfect balance. And it's it's a beautiful picture of the way life is supposed to be. And the story we're going to look at today, the parable of Jesus, the story that's going to turn what everything we thought about on its head, um, it's in Matthew 22. And it may be, I'll just be honest with you, it may be one of the most difficult parables that Jesus ever taught. It, it may be one of the hardest stories we've ever read from him, trying to, to understand what he's saying and, and, and know what it means for us as believers of Jesus. But if you have your Bibles or you, your, your device or whatever you have, if you want to open up to Matthew 22, I want us to look at these words of Jesus, these 14 verses that lay out a story that tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like and see, just, just see if we can catch a glimpse of what in the world Jesus was trying to tell us about grace and about justice in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So Matthew 22. Verse 1, Jesus also told them other parables, and he said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated, or the kingdom of heaven is like the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Now, we'll just push pause real quick because you know this about me already if you've been here any time during the summer. How many times now has Jesus used the picture of a party or a wedding feast or a celebration to paint a picture for us of heaven? Have you caught on to this trend yet with Jesus? Like for some reason, he's, he's hung up on this one picture in his mind, and I love it. You know, that when, when, I don't know what you think about when you think about heaven, but when Jesus thinks about heaven and when Jesus talks about heaven, he, he almost always goes straight to this metaphor of a party or of a wedding feast. And, and, and I think that's a beautiful idea. It's a place where there's going to be rejoicing. There's going to be people celebrating. There's going to be dancing and laughter and warm food on the table and people telling stories. And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. This is, this is for Jesus a picture of heaven, a wedding feast. Verse 3. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But... They all refused to come. Have you ever done this before? Have you ever planned a party or sent out your evite and then nobody showed up? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, this is like the worst feeling in the world, right? When you have planned a party, when you've planned a moment, when you've invited everyone to come and then, you know, no one gets there early and you're watching your watch and the time comes and the doorbell doesn't ring and, and 10 minutes go by and you're wondering what's going on and 20 minutes go by and no one's there and you realize eventually that no one's coming 
to, to your party? You know, how do you feel when that happens? Uh, embarrassed? Worried? Angry? Concerned? Mad? You know, there are all these emotions come rising to the surface, and this king, I'm sure, was no different. Verse 4, he said, So he sent out other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls, the fat calf have all been killed. Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. Surely there's been a misunderstanding. Surely the email didn't get sent to the right addresses. <laughs> there must have been a mistake. Did you not get the group text? It's happening now. Like the food is on the table. Come to the feast. This king has sent out now two invitations to come to the party. Verse 5. But the guests he had invited uh, ignored them. And he went there, they went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business, others seized his messengers and insulted them. And get this, they killed them. Whoa. Whoa. The, the fact that the king sent out two invitations and it, it's been refused two times. And now the second time in the most violent way possible. Are you wondering yet? What is Jesus doing in this story? This is, this is a weird story. Verse 7. Well, the king was furious, as you might expect. And he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Whoa. Now, if you're like me, whenever you read a story Jesus told, you know, one of the first things you just start doing automatically, because this is the way we're kind of, you know, made to think, is we, we start trying to identify who's who in the story. And anytime you read a story Jesus tells, and he, he uses the idea of a king, your first thought is, well, the king has got to be God, right? That's who this is. And that works out great until you get to this verse where the king sends out his army, he's furious, and he destroys everyone and everything. <laughs> You're like, what just happened, right? This is, this is an unbelievable story. And, and, and it's a hard one for us to, to get our arms around because, because this king is acting in a way that we don't often speak about God. This king acts in judgment, in pretty swift judgment, I might add. And our first thought is, man, how could God do that? What kind of God would do this? What kind of king would do this? Send out his army to destroy everyone and everything because his invitation was refused. How could he act in such judgment? And, and I can get there with you, but I think we have to back up, don't we, and remember this? This king sent out how many invitations to this point in the story? Two. I would argue that when Jesus told the story, his audience was alarmed and surprised that the king didn't take this action after the first invitation was sent out. Because what king in his right mind was sent an invitation? And, and when no one came, not act in swift judgment. I think what Jesus is teaching us here, and I think this is pretty amazing, by the way, is that this king is not like any other king. This king is, in fact, this king, before he ever acted out of judgment and justice, he acted repeatedly out of a position of grace. Because no other king would send out a second invitation. No other king would do that. Uh, most kings wouldn't send out the first. They would just have the people they wanted there there. But this king has sent out two invitations. He's acted repeatedly uh, from a position of grace. And only after the second one was refused and refused violently did the king act out injustice. And what Jesus is asking us to, to think about is, is this king, whoever this king is, he's not like any other king. He's a different kind of king. And I think he's trying to show us this one truth that I think is a powerful truth, that grace always comes. In the kingdom of heaven, grace always comes before judgment.
In the kingdom of heaven, grace always comes before judgment. And, and I got to believe there's some people in the room that need to hear this right now because you have felt like what church is all about is judgment. If I were to ask you what is the kingdom of heaven about, you're going to say judgment. Because you have always felt judged and you have always felt unwelcome. But I want to I invite you to think twice about that. And I want to invite you to think about this idea that in the kingdom of heaven, the way, the way God paints the picture is that grace always comes before judgment. And grace repeatedly comes before judgment. That this is what this king is like and that this is what this kingdom is like. And then verse 8, he said to his servants, the king said, the wedding feast is ready. This feast has been ready for a long time now. I hope they've got like the plate warmers on, you know. Uh, the, the wedding feast is ready and the guest... Uh, I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. Finally, a third invitation is sent, and the king says, hey, just go to the highways and byways, get everybody you can find, and invite them into my party, and the servants do, and people come, good and bad alike, and finally there are people there to celebrate with the king and his son this wedding feast. Now, now if you're tracking this story, you may be thinking, and and you're probably right, that as Jesus is telling this story to his audience, he's got in mind not just this moment and not just the kingdom of heaven, but kind of the pattern that's happened in in the story of the people of God up to this point. Because you can go back and look with just a very, very, you know, 30,000 foot view of the history of, of the people of God, and you can remember that That throughout their history and throughout their story, what's happened over and over again is God has been sending messengers over and over again. He's been sending prophets. He's been sending judges. He's been sending men. He's been sending women all to call people back to him. And over and over again, what the people of God, what the people of Israel have done over and over again throughout their story, throughout their history, is they have refused to listen, refused to obey. And they have often killed those prophets and those judges and those people, those men, those women that God has sent to call them back to himself. And so you can see in this story that Jesus probably has in mind that this is what's been happening for a long, long time. And now he's about to say, that's going to change. Because here's the deal. The king is going to have a party. There's the kingdom of heaven. And in the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be a party. And the king, there's going to be people there. And repeatedly and often at a position of grace, God has been inviting you to come into the party, but you have killed and you have refused. And so now he's going to go to the highways and byways and he's going to call all people to himself. And you know this and I know this. In fact, we wouldn't be here today if this wasn't true, right? None of us are Jews. At least I'm not, you know. And so we got invited to the party because God opened up the invitation. And so all are welcome. And what God has always been doing is been inviting people, all people, to come into his kingdom. And by the way, this is exactly what the people of God were supposed to be doing the entire time. They were set up to be a light to the nations, but they failed to be a light to the nations over and over again. They colossally failed at being a light to the nations. And so what did God finally do? He sent a son. And what was his son? He was a light a light of the world, a light to the nations to bring all people and open up the invitation of God to all people everywhere. 
And I, and I want to pause right here just for a moment, and I even hesitate to say this, but I think I have to. That I think there's a word in here for us too. And I think there's, I want to be careful how I say this. I think we need to, we need to remember this. That what God has done and what God is currently doing, his mission is the same. That he is working to bring in all people, to invite all people into his kingdom. And I, and I think if I asked any one of us in the room, we would all agree with that. That we all believe that. We all believe that, that the love of God is for everyone and God is at work in the world to save the world. Like we would all believe that. But then, this is what I've experienced with talking to so many people who claim to follow Christ and, and do follow Christ. I don't mean anything about that. Is that they, they believe that, but then when you start talking about a certain person or a certain people group, what you begin to discover is that deep in the recesses of their hearts, and if I'm being honest, deep in the recesses of my heart, there's a place in which I'm not sure or they're not sure that God's love is for them or if they're invited into the kingdom of heaven. For whatever reason, Maybe because of where they're from or what they believe or the color of their skin, we've decided to devalue them. We've decided to, to look differently upon them. And we've decided to, to think that maybe just maybe God doesn't love them. We wouldn't say that, but that is actually what we believe. And we know the verse, don't we? I mean, you've memorized it since you were a kid. For God so loved who? The world. The world. He, he loves the world. He loves people that look like me and people that don't look like me. He loves people who speak my language and people who don't speak my language. He loves people who are the worst of the worst and the best of the best. People who, 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 who the sinner and the saint, you just, you go down the list. God, yeah, he loves the, the world, everyone in the world. He even loves my enemies and your enemies. Again, we have to lay down our vision of the kingdom of heaven and pick up his vision of the kingdom of heaven. And his vision is that, that all would come to the party. And if we ever, for any reason, resist welcoming anyone whom the king has invited, we have become just like the people of God that Jesus was talking to, who thought they had an exclusive on God. And what I want to invite us into this morning is is to make sure we're welcoming who God is welcoming into his party. It's not our party, and I'm not the king. I don't think anybody thought I was, but just to clarify. He's the king, and it's his party. And let's make sure we welcome who he welcomes, and we love who he loves. And those words, they come from John 3.16. You know that, but those are red-letter words. Those are words of Jesus. God loved the world so much that he gave me his son. So that anyone who believes, no matter where they're from or what they look like, could have everlasting life. The story goes on, though, in verse 11. When the king came in to meet the guest, and this is where the story gets really hard again, a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for the wedding. There was a man there who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man, he had no reply. 
So the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Wow. This one guy shows up. He's been invited in. But for whatever reason, he never changed into the wedding robes. And here again, you see the grace of God. Because this man received an invitation. He didn't have to, but he did. It was offered, it was extended, and it was received, and it was accepted. And he came in. That's a gracious act by any king. But then you also see the justice of God. Because this man, for whatever reason, was unwilling to change. And because of his unwillingness to change and to put on the wedding robes necessary and required for the wedding feast, the justice of the king had to be imparted. The grace of God and the justice of God. And if you only hear me say one thing today, this is the one thing I want you to hear me say. Because I think this is so true and I think this may just be what Jesus was trying to, or at least one of the things he was trying to tell us. Is that it is true God loves you exactly as you are. That is absolutely true. He invites you to come as you are, and he loves you exactly as you are. But he loves you way too much for you to remain as you are. God loves you exactly as you are, but he loves you way too much for you to remain as you are. And I think what Jesus is trying to tell us and teach us is that absolutely, You are loved. And because you are loved, you have an invitation to come to the party that is the kingdom of heaven. And what do we do? What's our responsibility is to accept the invitation and to step into the party. But at that point, the conversation isn't over. Because in the kingdom of heaven, there is is grace, but there is also justice. And the king requires change. He requires transformation. He requires obedience. So we have to, yes, accept the invitation, but we also have to be obedient to the king and to what he wants us to do. Because he loves us as we are, but he loves us too much for us to remain as we are. Uh, here's a picture. Do you know what this is? Uh, they have these all over Capel. Uh, what is a red light camera? Have you seen these things? So we moved here a while back, and, and, uh, and, and I was driving around town. If you know me very much, you know I'm always lost. So I was at the, a light just like this one down here on MacArthur and Beltline. This is a bit of a public service announcement too, by the way. You'll understand why in a minute if you don't know already. And um, I pulled out uh, to, uh, to turn left, and the light was green, but there was a lot of oncoming traffic, right? And so I don't know how they, they teach you to drive here in Texas, but where I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, what you did— when you came to a, a, a light where you want to turn left is, is you, you pull out into the intersection and you wait to turn left. And if for some reason the traffic never breaks and, and, and uh, the light turns red, at that point it is your civic duty, your civil responsibility, because you're blocking traffic to go ahead and proceed through the light so that other drivers can safely pass through their intersection when the light turns green. And there's this brief moment, right, when all the lights are red and you can make that safe turn. So, being raised that way and taught that way all of my life, this little loophole in the law, that's what I did on this day uh, here in Coppell, Texas, and down here at the light, and I, and I made the turn, and as soon as I did, it was night, I saw this flash in my mirror. <laughs> and two weeks later, I get this nice uh, piece of paper in the mail from uh, Coppell Police Department, and there's a picture of my truck and my tag uh, with, uh, with a financial amount that I now owed them because I pulled through this light. And, like, I know that white line is there for a reason. It's for all you other people. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand 
why it applied to me, right? I didn't understand. Uh, this traffic light is, and, and by the way, I'm not knocking these cameras, okay? They, I know they make our city safer. I'm all for all of that. I think, they should, I think that should apply to, to most everybody. But um, what, the problem with these traffic, you know, uh, these red light cameras is they have absolutely no capacity for grace, do they? Like if I had been pulled over by a police officer and explained my situation, hey, I'm, I'm new in town, I'm a little bit lost, I wasn't sure what to do, how I was raised to drive in Montgomery where, you know, God's people come from is you pull out a little bit and you wait for the light to turn green. Um, you know, this is what happens. Uh, I'm a minister. Did I, did I mention I work for God? Um, you know, that maybe, just maybe, the police officer would then have mercy on me because a human being is, is, you know, has the ability, the capacity for grace. Traffic cameras don't, Right? Um, that didn't happen. All I got was swift judgment and a fine that I had to pay. What if, what if, what if a police officer would have pulled me over? And what if he would have said, hey, I, I saw what happened back there. You got stuck out there and you, you turned left too late and the camera went off and he said, hey, in, in a couple of weeks, you're going to get a ticket in the mail. He said, hey, I want to give you this. Take this card. I'm like, What's this? That's, that's a card with my cell phone number on it. When that ticket comes in the mail, here's what I want you to do. Pick up your phone and call me on my cell phone. And what I want to do for you is I want to I pay that ticket for you. That would have been an act of incredible grace. Here's what I want you to see. That's an act of grace because of the presence of justice. There's a sense in which grace isn't grace without the presence of of justice, because I fully knew what was going to happen to me because I broke the rules, because I failed the rule of law. The grace that was extended to me, or could have been extended to me in that moment, would have been life-changing. And this, this is what grace is, isn't it? Grace is whenever, when we receive, when we fully know what we deserve, and we receive grace from another, and that grace cost them something, What happens in our lives as a result of that? The grace of God always anticipates a change of heart. And this this is what is true about the kingdom of heaven. Is that when we fully get our minds and our hearts around the grace of God, that our lives are forever changed. Because we realize that God loves us exactly as we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us as we are. I have a little girl. She's five years old. I love her exactly as she is, but I don't want her to stay that way forever, okay? (laughs) I've got dreams for her to grow and change and become the woman, the daughter of God that he created her to be. God loves you, his sons and daughters, the exact same way. He loves you as you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you where you are. So if right now in your life, if you're feeling challenged, discouraged, if you're going through a tough time, if you don't know what's going on, if you're not sure about the future and you're looking to him for answers and you don't understand why why what's happening the way it's happening, I want to remind you, God loves you exactly as you are, but he's wanting to bring about change and growth in you and your hearts in this church. He loves us as we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us as we are. And he's going to bring about change because that's what God does. He brings about growth. He brings about this idea of, 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 of transformation. And most often it happens through grace and justice. Church, if you would, stand with me. You know, Jesus told the story, and then what did he do? This is one of the last stories he told. He went to the cross. 
And if you want to see where grace and justice meet, then just take one look at the cross of Jesus Christ. See, the king sent his son because he loved us just as we are. But he loved us so much he couldn't leave us as we were. Because the justice of God had to be met, he went to the cross and he paid a price that you and I couldn't pay. Because he paid that price, we receive grace. And if you've ever accepted the king's invitation, then you know that this is true. That that one of the reasons you accepted the invitation is because you took one look at the cross and you saw the justice of God on display. And then you received the grace of God in your heart and it changed your life forever. If we have any elders or your wives in the room, I'd invite you guys to kind of make your way to the edges of the room. And There may be some here this morning that you, for whatever reason, haven't, haven't accepted the king's invitation yet. And I want to let you know you're invited. God wants you at the party. And if you want someone to talk to you about that, that's what these guys and their wives, that's what they want to do. They want to talk to you about, about that invitation and how to receive it and, and, and how you can gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And the good news is, is that you have a good, good God, a good, good king, a good, good father who will do anything in his power to move you from where you are to where you want to be. But for the rest of us, what I want to call us into is to participate in this. Like, could we be the messengers? Could we be the ones that the king sends out to say, hey, there's a party and you're invited and God is the king and he wants you there. Would you, would you come? Would you come? Because God's gonna have a party and I wonder I wonder who will be there because we invited them to come. The kingdom of heaven, it's kind of like a wedding feast. Maybe we can be the kind of people that turn wedding feast into bread lines for hungry people. Maybe we can be the kind of people that invite people into the party and say, you're welcome to come. And if the king invited you, our arms are open because we want you here. Because the kingdom of heaven It's kind of like a party, and you're invited.